Hey, good morning, King's Chapel. It is so good to be with you, even in this bizarre and strange way, but it's good to bring God's Word to you. Um, you can find the worship guide will be attached along with this video on social media as well as you can find it on the church webpage, and we'll probably send it out to you via email as well. Hope this is a helpful resource for you um, to enjoy time in God's Word, either by yourself or with others, roommates and family members, kids, or just your spouse. We're going to be in Psalm 46 uh, this morning for a brief uh, meditation and devotional uh, to give consideration to God's Word and to focus on what He has to say for us. So hear God's Word, Psalm 46, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. I'll read the entire passage, all 11 verses. It begins this way. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth, how he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shadows the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This ends the reading of God's word. Well, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. If I were to make this statement, I simply want you to complete the statement for me. When my world starts to fall apart, I feel like I'm going to be okay because. And what comes after that because for you? When my world starts to fall apart, I'm going to be okay because. Is it family? Is it family? If my world falls apart, I still have my family structure there. But what if your world falling apart meant the loss of your family? When in my world starts to fall apart, I feel like I'm going to be okay because of my finances, because I have saved and I have a healthy nest egg. But what if the world falling apart was the loss of your finances and your retirement? When my world starts to fall apart, I feel like I'm going to be okay because I have good friends. But what if the world falling apart was actually meant that you were removed from your friends? All those fill in the blanks. If any of those things are the places where you feel like you're going to be okay because they exist, then you're in a place of vulnerability and have reason to fear. There is only one thing that you could fill in the blank and have not fear that it will be taken from you, and that is God himself. When my world starts to fall apart, I feel like I'm going to be okay because I have the Lord. This psalm is a moving affirmation of trust in the Lord in the midst of extreme adversity, and so just want to bring three brief encouragements for you from this text about what God is saying about himself and what he is doing in the world. First encouragement for us is this, that God is our ever-present refuge. 
It says in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. On multiple places it says the Lord is the host who is present with us, who is here with us. The word present in the Hebrew literally means found. It's as if the psalmist is saying this, that in the midst of all crises and places of calamity and trouble, God is right there in the middle of it all. He will not forsake us and he won't leave us. You have perhaps heard the saying, misery loves company, while also trouble in, in a places of fear loves company as well. If you're scared in a movie, you in, in, inherently want to move closer to others, grab a hold of them. If you've ever been invited to go someplace where you don't know anybody and you feel some trepidation, if you ever called somebody and says, hey, I'm not going to know anybody at this party. Will you go with me? I don't want to go alone. Very often a great comfort to us in the midst of a season of trial and suffering is the fact that God is present with us. And God says, I will go with you. But this is important, not just in our present problems, but in the midst of the worst things we can actually consider going on in our lives. What if the unthinkable happens? That's actually what is being described in verses 2 and 3. What if the earth gives way and, and shakes? What if the mountain falls into the sea? This is the unthinkable. We get the phrase, the ground is shifting underneath us, to, to speak of when our whole worldview, when things that we never thought would happen, begin to happen. I don't know about you, but I know for me the last couple of days, uh, it has been a place where there have been things happening that I never even, I mean, con could even conceive would happen in our country. I'm not one given to um, running, let my mind running into a bunch of different possibilities, um, but the scale of the response of the possibility of the significant financial loss, the shutdown of our society and life as we have known it in the last couple of days, there have been moments where I have had a few in letting my mind wander of what if, a what if, kind of the worst case scenarios. And it's important to remember that what this psalm is saying is that even in the midst of your bad dreams, in the worst of your what-ifs, in the worst-case scenarios, God is saying, even there I will be. In Psalm 139, verse 8, it says this, the psalmist says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shield, that means in the place of death, then you are there. And this is the beautiful thing that the cross and the grave tell us, that Jesus has said, I will enter your world of suffering so that I can be with you. I will endure your sorrows, and I will even go into the depths of death so that you will know that there's no place in the world, no awful circumstance that you will walk in, that I will not also go there with you. And so now in verse 2, the psalmist is saying that God's presence and help will continue to be with us, even the things that, we, that may not even be true but are our worst fears. So that's one help, that God is our ever-present refuge. He goes with us. Second, God is our life-giving source. In verse 4, there's a crazy turn that happens that you can visualize. He's talking about the sea and crashing waves. And then in verse 4, suddenly we are cast into the picture of a city with a river running through it. Rivers in the Bible and throughout art and culture are talked about as places of peace and rest. It says in verse 4 that there is a river that makes glad the city of God. Rivers are sources of life 
and comfort and joy. Eden had a river run through it, which means that the psalmist is saying here, he's trying to conjure up images of paradise for us, places of joy and rest. In Ezekiel and Revelation, we get these descriptive scenes of a river flowing from the temple and then from the throne room of God, the river of water of life, it says in Revelation 22. But notice that it is a river in a city, but outside her gates... In verses 5 and 6, there is a raging enemy. What is going on here is there is a season or a place of peace around this river of joy and abundance and life. But it's the context of it is it's a city that is besieged. This is the kind of, you can imagine something, if someone were trying to make a commercial, you could imagine a mom or a dad in a room where everything else is going on around them in slow motion. Cats are flying past them. Children are screaming. Glasses and plates are shattering, and yet they're drinking sweet tea. Life is quiet and good in this paradise as they enjoy this element. That is the picture here, that God's presence is a joy. It's a source of life, even in the midst of horrendous circumstances. This is why Nehemiah can say, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That God would be your joy and your strength even in the midst of terrible circumstances. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are beaten and tortured uh, by a mob. They're thrown into jail. And it says around midnight, though, they sing because they have God. The people of God can say, even in the midst of loss, I find more to rejoice over than to lament over. Now, that is important. Now, there are many things that we can and should, and the Psalms give us many examples of things to lament over. But the Christian is one who, because of Jesus, because of the, the, he is with us always, and he is a source of joy, he is our ultimate source of joy, we always have more reason to be rejoicing than lamenting. And we can have this joy because we are secure. This water is a water that flows from the center of the city. It is not a spring that flows outside of the city and then flows into it. It is, finds its life and source in the middle of the city, which means no army outside can dam up the river and can keep them from this water, which means this, and it highlights this fact, that our fear, the reason why we feared, is that we put our life and we cling to things that can actually be threatened and taken from us. And when those things are threatened, that's when we experience this emotion of fear. And so in a moment like this in our particular world right now, it unmasks this question, on what have I clung to for joy and life and peace? What has been my source? Can that be threatened? But we cannot lose God. And if God is what you delight in the most, if he is the source that is within the city that cannot be taken from you, then you have him for all of eternity. You have something that will truly give you peace in life, even in the midst of difficult things. Third encouragement, that God is our all-powerful king. What's the point of saying that someone else's presence is a gift if they are weaker to you, than you and if they're more scared than you? But the one who is present with us is the God who controls the nations and the armies of the world. We're actually given two verses, two segments here in verses 8, 9, and 10. Verses 8 and 9 is an invi invitation to witness what Yahweh does, what the Lord does. And then in verse 10, God actually speaks. The psalmist quotes God, commanding 
that things be silent, that we be still and know Him. Notice in verse 8 and 9, it's a depiction of what Yahweh has done and will be doing, silencing the nations, ceasing wars, getting rid of uh, swords and, and uh, arrows and bows. He can actually take the instruments of war and make them instruments of peace. This does not take place because of various governments doing this. This takes place because of the word of God. But then in verse 10, we have this very famous phrase where God says, be still and know. Actually, what God is saying here is not speaking necessarily to Christians and creating some idyllic moment here for us. When we tend to look at this passage and read it, we often will use it and put it on the front of books with an idyllic, serene uh, kind of picture. Think of something in New Hampshire where it's a snowy kind of landscape with a beautiful red barn, and it says there on the front, Be still and know I am God. That is actually not what's going on here. What's actually saying is God is saying to the nations, Be quiet. It's the picture of a mom or a dad who has children, you're at the dinner table trying to have a good time with dinner, and yet they're continually throwing things back and forth at each other, screaming, yelling, getting up from the table, and you finally, as a parent, go, enough, be quiet, be still, sit down. This is what God is saying to the nations. He is saying, with a word, I can silence all of your battles, all of your wars, This is a stop it phrase. In other words, what this is saying is that the word of the God of the universe, with a word, he can silence all the things that threaten us. Psalm 46 is the basis for Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And there is this great phrase there when it's talking about Satan and our enemy and how he tries to derail us. And it says there in that hymn, one little word shall fell him. God can look at Satan and say, stop it, stop it. This is where things are headed, is what this is telling us. That we have a God who with his word and with his power is actually going to bring things to peace and to an end that gives him glory. That he is the king who rules over all things. And so it's as if the sons of Korah are cheating and they're looking ahead in the Bible at Romans 8.35 where it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, none of these things. None of these things. Because God is an all-powerful God who with a word will silence all the enemies and put it to an end all things that disrupt our peace in this life. So we need not fear. But here's the application. It means we must cultivate an awareness of God's presence with us. Yes, even in this crazy season. But this calls us, this calls us to a repentance. That we must take our eyes off of ourselves and off of CNN and off of social media and put our eyes on a God who says, I am to be exalted. And three times in this passage, there's this odd phrase, this odd word, Selah. We As scholars don't exactly entirely know what this means, but we know it has something to do with either a musical interlude or an interlude of silence in the midst of these various stanzas of this psalm. In other words, what it's saying is this. After God tells you that he is your refuge and he is present with you, after God says that he is your source in your life, after God says that he is your king who is all-powerful, you get quiet 
and you ponder. Which means this, that we take an interlude from our week of wondering if what's going on in the world. We're from our constant social media scrolling, from our incessant news watching, from our hoarding of all things bread and paper, and we get quiet. And so will you as a family, as roommates, as you individually, would you take an interlude, a selah, so to speak, and reflect and ponder upon your God? What will you think about today? I used to read all the Peanuts cartoons as a kid. My kids now read them. And there's one particular Peanuts cartoon where the, the scene is this. Linus and Lucy are looking out their window, and for four frames, there's nothing but rain. And Lucy eventually looks at Linus and says, Boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? And Linus responds and says, It will never do that. For in the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. And Lucy, res Lucy responds, You have taken a great load off my mind. And Linus simply says back, Sound theology has a way of doing that. Well, this is sound theology in Psalm 46. Will you reflect on the character of your God as an interlude today? Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. I love you, King's Chapel. I hope you have great time with the Lord, considering Him and what He has done for you. May the love of the God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit give you peace. Go in peace, brothers and sisters.